I'm not sick or struck dumb Or don't you know a kick 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 when you see one can't quit We're not done We're gonna kick 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 till the next one Hello, fine people, and welcome to episode four of The Kick. It is a brand new movie podcast on the Now Playing Network. I am Chance Solem Pfeiffer, your guide on the first of hopefully many themed miniseries, or kicks if you will. This first one, if you've been listening along, is Superior Sequels, where every guest has brought to the show a sequel to celebrate that they prefer to the original film. And I'll say this, I've loved our first three guests. We had fun covering big old mainstream movies, but I was hoping our guest today would pick something a little off the beaten path. And and what a banger she picked. Uh, Susan Tomorrow is an aficionado of underground and cult cinema. She is a programmer and co-owner at the historic and one-of-a-kind Clinton Street Theater in Portland, Oregon. And she's here today to talk with us about House 2, colon, the second story. Susan, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I'm stoked to uh, talk about House 2. I, I revisited it just to brush up and it's just, you know, uh, endless wads of entertainment. That's really true. Um, front to back. What was your first experience with this movie? I was kind of luckily and fortuitously uh, left without supervision or rules most of the time and a video store was close to my house so um, I never had any restrictions on anything that I could watch ever and uh, there were a few different VHS covers that just like burned into my brain and house two was one of them with the hand and the key lock the rotting hand oh So good, but I'm really glad I didn't get that as a huge tattoo, which I wanted to (laughs) as a teen. Uh, But yeah, I was really, really young. And um, at that point, I had uh, my sister and I had watched like the Hellraiser, the first couple of Hellraisers, really inappropriate for our age. But um, I was going into house two expecting some sort of at least like low level scary trauma. And uh, yeah, I, I joke a lot about movies that are like kids movies that are not for kids this is a movie for adults that is for kids (laughs) that's such a beautiful way to put it 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 has such a childlike spirit to it it is it's an adventure film more than a haunted house film but uh yeah i just think that they they really with i like the first house as well but they really like took off i think with what the original intention from uh ethan wiley was on the second one since he was directing totally i feel like when i interviewed you for a willamette week story you you did randomly drop in a reference to i think it might have been like nightmare on elm street 4 or something is 80s horror like a big sweet spot for you oh huge uh i feel like the era when um practical effects were at their absolute like mastery at their best and and I make the joke a lot that there's not a lot of movies that I like that were made after 93 because it just kind of like it takes me out of it but when you see a hand-painted background or like a Muppet or like oatmeal barf dyed green like coming out of something it's 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 visceral you're in it and uh house two is such like uh it feels like a, a love story to practical effects and um ethan wiley his first uh work in the industry was a special effects artist that's right that's right um so 
before we dive all the way in, let me kind of catch people up if they if they don't know these movies. Um, so the synopsis, the IMDb synopsis for House Two Cole in the Second Story is: the new owner of a sinister house gets involved with reanimated corpses and demons searching for an ancient Aztec skull with magic powers. Now, I really like the phrase gets involved there because you could argue that that's really bad writing, but you could also say that phrase is doing a lot of work for just trying to throw a lasso around the main character's relationship to corpses in the adventure in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it... uh... I like that they try and, and loose goose tie it in at the beginning to the first one. Like 25 yeah. years later, this kid was in the, his dad was in the war with the first guy, blah, blah, blah. And then it right. just goes off, off the hinges. Like they tie a tiny little ribbon and then they just like blow it up. Last year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now. There's an all-new house. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Charlie. Huh? Got it. And it's getting weirder. Look! It's a prehistoric bird! I got you, Jeff! I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. No. They're in for more trouble than they ever imagined. You can kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? Guy with the big gun goes first. House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. So folks, if you don't know the House movies, first one comes out in 85. It's directed by Steve Miner, uh, pretty sturdy horror director. You know, did some did some uh, Friday the 13th sequels, did Lake Placid. Uh, it's originally based on a story by Fred Decker, who is a authorial voice known to horror fans who wrote Night of the Creeps, co-writer of Monster Squad. But the screenplay of that first one is by Ethan Wiley who, as Susan already said, ends up writing and directing House 2, the second story. Um, They're both standalone films, other than uh, that lieutenant, who I now just realized is a continuing character. But like we've done with all the sequels here, I'm going to break down real quick what the second film repeats and changes from the first. So really all House 2 repeats from House 1 is the notion of a big, strange house, um, we can talk about whether the house in house two is even haunted at all. Um, I don't, I don't know what our definition of a haunted house necessarily is. Um, <laughs> house two repeats the notion of, uh, some, an actor from Cheers showing up at your house and being overly familiar in the first one. It's George Wendt who plays the neighbor in uh, house two. It's John Ratzenberg. Uh, the the know-it-all mailman from Cheers who shows up at the 11th hour as a multi-talented electrician in House 2 to help them (laughs) fix this house. Um, And I think it repeats uh, horror comedy, though with different results. Uh, It repeats a producer in Sean S. Cunningham, famous empresario of the Friday the 13th franchise. 
Um, and as I said, probably the most important thing it shares is Ethan Wiley. Uh, what does it add? Pretty much everything. I, I As I was watching this movie, I felt like the movie's great strength was just simply adding. We're going to do this and this and this. It's a hat on a hat on a hat store. Um, it adds this whole story about uh, a family who got rich because their great-great-grandfather was an Old West prospector slash explorer slash stagecoach robber. And he, he inadvertently cursed the family by, by taking this psychic crystal skull literally with him to the grave. And it's brought him unnatural long life. But now his family is being pursued by the old prospector's former partner, a zombie gunfighter called Slim Reezer. House 2 adds genre after genre after genre. It's a multi-dimensional adventure film, as Susan already alluded to, uh, with kind of a serial comic feel. There are interludes with stop-motion dinosaurs, prehistoric strongmen, Old West street fronts. Um, it has a funny cast where the bit players end up becoming much more famous than the stars. It's got uh, Kane Hodder and Gil Birmingham in it for five seconds each, and and Bill Maher also appears. Um it adds a feeling of joyful anarchy that any creature could show up at any moment. Uh, and the house, the house is beautiful. It has its own sort of distinct style, which the internet told me is called Richardsonian Romanesque. It's like a 19th century uh, stone castle, but it it really looks more like something like the house in Citizen Kane, like Xanadu, than it does a, a typical kind of gothic haunt. Um, that's the lay of the land, folks. Susan. The floor is yours. Can you tell us why you picked House 2 for your superior sequel? I can. Uh, <laughs> so House 1, with all respect to it as uh, its own standalone movie, I really, the thing that I remembered most about that as a kid and as an adult watching is one, the awesome portrayal of the, as of the um, the uh, the classic bitch ex-wife as the monster, which he fights, and his grandmother in just this cartoonishly, <laughs> uh, like made up almost drag goblin. That's that that I think is the problem with the first one is that it trying to be kind of a little bit of a serious horror movie and uh, a movie about Vietnam PTSD and the loss of a child and the collapse of a marriage. Uh, but then they throw in these like giant like Muppets with lipstick screaming. And, and, and I have to say my very favorite thing about house one is his extremely like as deep as you can go cut V-neck sweater. Oh, the William, the William Catesbury. Yeah, it's incredible. Down to the belly button, but um, it's it's charming. It's got great effects. I think it's fun, but I definitely think that the uh, the production, the director, and the screenwriter wanted it to be two different things. Whereas uh, House Two, I think they just give Ethan Wiley the reins to go completely nuts. And when you have a premise that is uh, a mystical Hollywood mansion that's uh, full of interdimensional portals. Like you really can do whatever you want. And I think that he was able to add in some ridiculous stuff too, which helped with the promotion, like the, uh, the cat or puppy, which um, 
they sent around to different studios, like light up versions of it as like some classic William Castle style promotion, sure. which I loved. And, and the thing I like the most about it is that the whole point of the movie is, is fun. Like the, uh, there's no dull moments. There's um, even, I think, what is the, the band name? Amy Yazbek is the lead. I think she, she plays Lana. Her name is Puce Blitz. <laughs> Puce that's right. Blitz. Is that the band or the character? That's, uh, she plays Lana. Her name in her band is Puce, is Puce Blitz. Glitz, right. She's going to be the Madonna of the 80s, they say. The Madonna of the 80s <laughs> and Slimy Bill Maher for a few seconds. Just And bringing into like a, more of a bigger cast, because a movie like that, I think, really benefits from having strong character actors and ensemble where um, Charlie, he's fine as a sidekick. Uh, he looks a lot like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber in this movie. but um, Totally. He's got that haircut. Yeah, even even with all of its like absolute direct plot holes, um, I just I think overall it's it's meant to be a super fun ride, and it absolutely is. And the 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 makeup effects are incredible. Another one of my favorite things about House Two is like the phenomenal should have gotten an Oscar performance by Royal Dano. <laughs> yes, I. Oh God, I love, well, I love character actors and I love old cowboy actors. And just even under all of that makeup and all of those prosthetics, Royal Dano gives a fucking, like, I cry, I get goosebumps and I cry. And I'm like, Gramps, fuck. Don't die, live forever with your cursed skull. <laughs> we should, I think I've uh, omitted possibly in this, the synopsis, the, the central really the central uh, animating story incident of the movie is that they they go dig up Gramps because the, the skull's in there with them and they find that Gramps is, is very much alive because of the skull. And then Gramps comes to live with them. And to your point, the moment where he, who's been buried underground for who knows how long, realizes that he is 170 years old and is a little terrifying looking is legitimately very sad. Oh no, oh no, I, I'm supposed to be young again. Uh, Gramps, uh, maybe you should... Look at me. I'm a hundred and seventy year old fart. Goddamn zombie! Uh, well, um, you look really good for a hundred and seventy-year-old zombie. Gramps, really great. His eyes, like his icy blue cowboy eyes, well up, and you can just ah, oh, oh, it's moving, which you don't expect to find from uh, one this movie to a zombie Aztec cowboy grandpa, right? Character, but you are completely endeared to him, and I think that uh. Yeah, that was probably the, the the casting of the century. Getting getting Royal Dano in that. Let's go to I get I have five big questions for you here, Susan. The first one you kind of already hit on. I a thousand percent agree with your sort of diagnosis of the kind of the uneasy mix of horror and comedy in in the first one. Um, what do you feel House Two gets right about the marriage of those two genres? Uh, I think 
the thing it gets the most right is that it le it lets one of them lead in the dance. So, uh, you know, you know, you you're in on the joke. Um, there isn't that weird jarring shift, which I yeah. I actually don't mind. But between um, you know, monster and lipstick screaming to like cartoon foley effects, and then like. Oh, I'm having a flashback from Vietnam of yeah. my friend dying and my kids drowning in the pool. Like, whoa, dude. Whoa. And that's that's the that the you're perfectly describing it, but that's the one that is hard to swallow. Is like when you've had all the crazy fun and then they go back and they expect you to be like, No, this guy did not have a good time in Vietnam. And they're like, I I can't get back on that page anymore. No, the little kid has a, a you know, cartoon rubber hand on his back biting, and then he sits back down at the typewriter like Vietnam, one man story. Like, come on, guy. I thought it, you know, yeah. when I first saw House One, I thought it might have taken a misery angle at the beginning because I love the uh the punks interviewing him at the book signing that are in uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's gonna be like a misery thing. But then it goes straight into from that wacky scene into a beautiful old lady hanging herself it's just like wow did like someone leave the room and someone else took over and this is like <laughs> just the uh the, that that um really i think clunky split whereas uh exactly whereas number two is just a fabulous party with a fabulous party in it and then the potential of infinite parties within that down in Hollywood. Charlie! Charlie! What? Look, Gramps. What's he doing? <laughs> it looks like he's about to score. Yeah, but how do you get up here? Will you relax? It's Halloween. He blends right in. All right, Gramps! Go for it, pal! <laughs> so, what is your favorite unforeseeable until it happens occurrence in this movie because the wild swings it takes if you're watching it for the first time as i was you couldn't possibly predict like what is coming so so what's your fave well they strip away half the characters pretty quick out of the whole scene so that that <laughs> leaves the pickings uh they're just kind of there and then gone sleazy bill mayor doing his thing perfectly i think uh, a year before that or a couple of years he was in uh petrodactyl women in the avocado jungle oh wow he just made a lot of appearances like sleazy funny guy that does like Meh. Yeah. how, <laughs> but, how um, difficult for him i know i know but the the i think the one of the biggest ones just like point stops is uh when they finally get the skull and beat slim and they bring it to gramps and gramps is like never mind i'm good and then at the very end where he's like take this cursed skull that has brought nothing but death and destruction and have fun with it and then he leaves it upon his grave in the old west it's so great it's like what they're fighting for for the whole film and at the end they're just like yeah. doesn't matter but <laughs> it's 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 not bothersome at all it, it feels totally of a piece with every other insane thing that you've seen happen yeah it's 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 fine having a playboy playmate cast as your uh aztec virgin you know it's <sighs> if it wasn't so fun it'd be stupid and it's just stupid enough to be fun 
Well, I guess that's where I know when you say that you don't like a lot of movies past 1993, I totally get that from an effect side of thing. But I, I wonder also if that applies to storytelling for you at all. Like, I mean, most of the so many of our like modern storytelling obsessions are about like connectivity and backstory and everything that must be logic out to satisfy people's questions about this thing or whatever. And I, I wonder if you feel is there a virtue to an 80s movie where like logic and backstory couldn't possibly matter less? A hundred percent. I actually, I think that fun for the sake of fun uh, is one of the most important things that kind of exists currently in the world today in order to fend off the uh, the drudgery, the apathy, the the constant awareness of 8 billion other people's like collective consciousness and all that stuff. Having something that is just there to spark imagination and take each person. Cause I remember when I was a kid and I saw that I can't walk, I can't walk past an old house without thinking of each room being a different dimension. Yeah. And that being so creatively inspiring coming from something that is, you know, uh, a movie that gets a lot of flack for not being, why wasn't this a serious continuation of, of Rambo and his story in Vietnam? It's like, come right. on. From an era too, well, besides the like large amount of cocaine that I assume everyone was on, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that was made uh, purely for fun's sake. And especially right. a lot of horror comedy too, because it was coming out of, um, you know, not quite the the full-on kind of low low hanging trauma stuff but um on par with like society and popcorn and all of these movies that had really amazing people on them as you can see like with this one the writers the producers they're all kind of interchangeable and same with the effects workers they all have like a certain look and feel to them as well that's very like tactile and tangible and it keeps me personally uh in it and that in itself is worthwhile no one went to uh what is that gulliver's sullivan's travels where yeah yeah no one wants to uh go see a a movie about human struggle during a depression mm -hmm. like there's mm -hmm. so much limitless potential and creativity and imagination it's nice to escape into that without having to be like well i wonder if him and his girlfriend didn't go to counseling after this right Right. Um, someone just yesterday recommended Society to me, which I've not seen. Is that a must? Is that a big one for you? Do you love practical effects and class war? <laughs> I'm scared to say no. Uh, so yeah, for sure. And I and then I you'll love Society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually it's got uh, uh, this actor named Billy Warlock in it, which is probably one of the best names you could ever have for a lead actor. Um, and Billy yeah, there's Warlock. Billy Warlock. There's a lot of weird dialogue in that one, too. Um, yeah, I think you'll like it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to throw it on. Do you think, in retrospect, was this movie helped or hurt overall? by being part of the quote, like house franchise, as opposed to just being a, like, what if they just like put it out and called it zombie grams? Do you think that changes the destiny of the movie? 
Uh, I do. I do. Because I think that if it wasn't sold to people as more of a straight up horror movie than it is in any way or fashion, it wouldn't have gotten the recognition and the uh, the rancor and now obsession of horror fans over the years. Um, so I think it I think it helped. It's also uh, Sean Cunningham, the producer who produced all the, the Friday the 13th was known for like as soon as something is a success you make a sequel um i think that he gave he offered ethan wiley three weeks to write the script for house two Uh was like if you can get it done in that time then you can direct it i i read that he wrote it in two so (laughs) two two overachiever yeah um and thus he got the job thank goodness that's also how uh, i think uh, brain damage got made by Frank Henenlotter and it's just you know it's I would never want to make a Hollywood movie because it seems like it's always been a shit show since like 1918 but yeah. um, you know they had to kind of make it work when the money was there because it wouldn't be there the next day <laughs> right um, have you seen House 3 or 4? I've seen bits of House 3 and I've avoided House 4 um okay. i diving back into it i have some curiosity about house three but i think that two was really for me so significant because it's uh it was a huge childhood favorite movie and just um one of the rare examples of of a, a an actual kids movie marketed to adults versus the opposite right i am curious about house three as well i have not seen it but it, it was funny that the the Wikipedia page for whatever that's worth. It may not be worth very much, but it basically described the journey of every movie as like the same. It was just like, yeah, people kind of liked it, didn't like it, but then eventually they really liked it. And then the same, same thing it said about house three. And there was even a hint of that for house four. So I don't know. Could be worth checking out. Maybe, maybe I tend to, you know, I just because it's my particular hyper focus, uh, <laughs> Um, it's something I'll definitely check into, but you never know. Like someone told me Exorcist 3 was amazing before I saw Exorcist 3 and I'd seen two and was like, no way that's going to be trash. And it turns out to be a flawless movie. This was almost your other pick. I'm going to reveal um, was you wanted to do Exorcist 3 as for your sequel. And I, I kind of want to go in the, I'm, I, I loved watching house Two, but I want to go in the alternate dimension. We're talking about that one. Um, So esteemed film programmer that you are, what would be, Susan, your ideal double feature choice with House 2 if you were programming it on a like Saturday afternoon into the evening or evening until midnight? What would you pair? Uh, I thought about this. I have, I narrowed it down to three picks depending on the pairing mood. So let's do it. What do you got? Forgive me. The first one it's got to be Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, just to uh, keep it in theme with uh, inherited houses that turn out to be great, great yeah, situations yeah. overall uh, that seem yeah. like a burden. Um, and then for something more serious, it's one of my actual favorite haunted house movies um, that's not a horror comedy at all, but a really good pairing. It's uh, The Sentinel from 1977. It's got. I know that Oh, oh, it's it's eerie. It's like a, a woman moves into a ah, you don't need to hear about this right now. 
but it's another house where uh, each room is a different kind of time space. Time space doesn't matter in there. But um, okay. the Sentinel is actually a absolute haunted house horror film, whereas uh, House Two is like a neon gummy bear in comparison. Right. But it would be I would love to do that. You could bring your kids, put them in one theater, and you sit and watch the Sentinel. Um, and then the last option would be High Spirits, which is just an amazing uh, haunted castle movie. It's got an ensemble cast, Peter O'Toole playing a suicidal drunk castle owner. And the practical effects in that movie are incredible. Steve Gutenberg acts like a total dork, but Terrell Hannah is amazing. And Beverly D'Angelo being perfection. Um, yeah. Haunted House is my favorite. Well, I I I look forward to one of those double features eventually coming to fruition at at Clinton Street. That would be rad. Um, Five silly questions. You you good for this, Susan? Yeah, let's get silly. What's your favorite plot hole? But again, I'm not I'm not trying to go Cinema Sins on this movie at all. That's not at all the point of watching it. But what's your what's the what's the one that is most fun? That it's never explained. I would so tossing out some options. I would say one that Jesse's parents were murdered in this house, and he seems not to know or care for an hour and twenty five minutes. Um, that's one possibility. Uh, two, uh, the two protagonists just kind of don't care at all that their their girlfriends leave with Bill Maher. They're just like, well, time to go in the Aztec room. Um, and my favorite one. And I don't want to besmirch Gramps here, but to, like, does he need eternal life? Like, what's he what's he doing with it? What's he been doing with it? What's the <laughs> well? What was his end game here? Yeah, I I I think that that's probably that's still that's the best plot hole and just most baffling part of it is that scene where the entire film you wake you, you there's an arc you're working up to one goal you develop this relationship it's going to be amazing there's family dinners and then he's just like i'm good i'm just gonna die now and it, it's just, it, there's not even a like what it's just kind of like okay let me go party with my friend we're gonna go play cowboys oh. and it's gonna be great so like completely deflating the original entire goal of the story arc of the movie i'd say is my favorite little um twist so good um i had read that there is allegedly a fifth house movie supposedly in production this year i do not know if production actually started but this was in some reporting on bloody disgusting from like late last year i think um, but that got me thinking, what type of house and or structure would you set a fifth house movie in? Not a, what did you call it? A Romanesque? Why, of course, it's a Richardsonian Romanesque. No, just... Oh, Richardsonian <laughs> Romanesque. Oh, pardon. Pardon me. <laughs> uh, you know, the first thing that that came to mind was like a... Um, Probably not what I would make, but a haunted trailer park. And I just thought of each trailer being a different dimension. And then it immediately changed into John Waters and the casting characters of that realm living in there. So maybe, maybe house two 
in an infinite trailer park, but I'm obsessed with old buildings. That's why I'm, I'm at the Clinton too. It's it's a portal with many portals. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, that idea rules. I would run out and see that right now. Um, Okay. Would you rather, uh, Susan, would you rather take a one hour car ride with Bill Maher or spend the night in Gramps' dugout grave? I'll take grave. That's, I think that's the right answer. You know, it would be more peaceful. Peaceful is the grave, right? That's true. No better company than yourself. Oh, yeah. I just, you know, if I wanted to hear Bill Maher talking forever, I could I could do that at any time. <laughs> uh, John, what are you doing here? Oh, uh, well, your beautiful lady informed me that she's found the Madonna of the 80s. I thought I'd better come by and check it out. Hey, I thought Madonna was the Madonna of the 80s, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Who's your friend, Bozo the Clown? Uh <laughs> But 100% the grave. Um, Gramps was there for a long time, and he seems like his mental health is actually pretty good, all things considered. That's true. Yeah, never better. Um, Okay, the most distinctly 80s element of the movie. I'll toss them out, but I'm I'm open to other other ideas. Is it uh, the idea that um, Puskalitz might be the next Madonna? Is it uh, Gramps seeing a Reagan movie on television and going after him? Like, this guy never could have made it in the Old West. Uh, The brand consciousness around Alfa Romeos and Uzis? Or something I have not (laughs) named? What do you think is the most distinctly 80s thing about the movie? Apart from just, like, the general uh, every every main character that's not undead being a classic yuppie, I, I gotta yeah. go with uh, Gramps calling Ronald Reagan a pansy, because that's, that's just, right. like, it's so satisfying, and it's kind of rare to see. What is this? this is 87, the year of my birth, and mm. um, not as many people trashed on Reagan as, as they should have, really, so we'll take every little bit, Gramps. In that vein, uh, favorite Gramps quote, I've pulled three options. Uh, There is the recurring theme of this 170-year-old zombie saying, don't forget the beer to people when they leave the room. There is, don't you want to go high-stepping with Gramps? Which he says to his great-great-grandson who doesn't want to go party with him. Or when when Jesse comes back from... Uh, winning his shootout with Slim Reezer and right before Gramps is like I'm all good on this mortal coil or whatever he just asks did you blow his head off? I think the blow his head off is very touching because I feel like the the both houses are very much uh, appealing to the audience of like Young boy turns into man, goes on hero's journey, adventure, and certain little dips and ways. So, yeah. uh, you know, seeing that positive masculinity from Gramps. <laughs> okay, Susan. Uh, our next segment is called Truth or Trivia. Uh, I've assembled some questions for you just generally as a film person, so you could pick those. Um or you could pick some trivia. We'll go a couple rounds here. What what do you what do you want to do? Truth or trivia? 
Uh, what's your truth? What is the craziest place you have ever watched a movie? That's a hard one. Besides theaters and backyards and maybe backyards. What's your, what was your best uh what was your best outdoor movie experience? Oh, uh probably a screening of Vampire's Kiss and we had one of the producers I, it, it was this weird thing that happened he came to the backyard vampires kiss screening and brought a bunch of original photo stills from the, wow. the film that, that was a, a very weird happening uh um did they did this producer have good stories from the film did that did they share any yeah yeah <laughs> well but mostly they just confirmed that uh yes everybody was on drugs sure. um and that's also probably my favorite Nicolas Cage performance. Like, I, it's it's a poem. It's unbelievable. What do you want to do now? Truth or trivia? Trivia. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, Ethan Wiley did not direct a movie for another, like, 10 years after this. But when he did, it was in a somewhat name-brand horror franchise. Do you know the franchise? Did he do Children of the Corn? That's exactly it. Children of the Corn. Yeah, it was a later one, which I have not watched. Nor have I. Uh, I bet that. See, that's like one of those series where I want it to be really good. I'm not even sure the first one's any good. It's not. (laughs) It's it's frustrating. (laughs) It could be. It has so much potential that they're just like, no, it's just. Here's what it is. I feel that way about a lot of movies. It's like a really cool premise and they could go everywhere with it. And then it's just like corn children. Yeah, exactly. God, and the <laughs> sin of that first one is that it, the the they do the big uh, massacre in the first like two minutes at the malt shop and there's just nowhere to go after that. What are they going to do to <laughs> Yeah, so the whole rest of the movie, they're just like, we're gonna get you, and it's like I already, I've already seen what you guys do. Either do it again or do something different. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's just like Killer Kids is such a good genre, and sure. um, I really, I feel like they, uh, they really dropped the corn. You know, they did, they did. Um, can I, can I do a, a Royal Dano trivia for you? Yeah. Uh, well, are you a Twin Peaks person? Um, I'm, I I might have guessed that just from a cursory idea of what kind of movies you like. Do you know who Royal Dano plays on Twin Peaks? Uh, what was his character's name? Uh, I'm down for, he has a, he has a, uh, a, a municipal job. If you could remember his job, that is also <laughs> acceptable. He wasn't a cop. No, but he was part of the justice system. Oh man, I'm really blowing it. I'm blowing. No worries. It. No worries. Uh, <laughs> he played Judge Clinton Sternwood. Ah, of course, the judge. Before we assume our respective roles in this enduring drama, just let me say that uh, when these frail shadows we inhabit now have quit the stage, we'll meet and raise a glass again together. 
in Valhalla. How about... So, Susan, this this whole first series of Superior sequels ends in the in the release of the new the new Dune picture, uh, Dune Part Two. Um, so, I'm just asking everyone uh, if they care about Dune Two, what they're expecting. Um, as someone who's not a modern franchise person, I don't know if you care about it. Um, what are your or feel free to monologue about David Lynch's Dune for a while if you want. <laughs> You know what I want to see is Hodorowski's Dune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish you lots of luck with that, too. But I know, uh, I know. Uh, no, that would be magnificent. But I I saw the, the the last one. But here's the thing. I don't remember most of it. And, sure. and so often movies like that, like epic, large scale, heavy computer effects, movies like the first one is a setup for the second one when they know it's going to be a success so i remember feeling like oh i'm just this is like you're watching it so you go and watch the next one right and here's uh and i will say that timothy chalamet is not my moddy oh okay yeah yeah kyle uh-huh. kyle mclaughlin i thought did a a fabulous job Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot, and a lot of people said that cause, and I was among them. I didn't really realize that it was, that it was purely part one and some people didn't care about that. And some people came to terms with it right away, but I don't know if this is what you're implying, but there is, there is some suggestion there that you're kind of just like part of a financial experiment. And it's like, Oh, I put my body in this theater. So now they could do what they were always going to do instead of, you know, exactly in any more interesting way yeah it wasn't it wasn't like a whole standalone it's like one of those things if it never got a sequel it wouldn't be a complete picture in in not at all in any way and and i feel like yeah just paying and going and seeing a whole like a first run feature that's just a setup for the second one which may be just a setup for the third one depending on how much money it's raking in uh you know modern gripes modern gripes um however you know there's plenty of other new movies that i i I would hate on before something based on um you know a series that i really like in a world that i think is pretty cool totally totally is there anything you would like to plug? Any this is going to come out on uh like the uh, uh, February 21st. Is there anything like end of February at the Clinton Street you want people to come to? Just come anytime in general to anything? What are you feeling? Uh well yeah, anytime in general to anything, but um February we're spotlighting uh black filmmakers, screenwriters and programmers all month at the theater. So please come and you know, support, support the cause. And it's, uh, it's usually a slower month for theater. So we're hoping to get more people out and get people more inspired. Um, Heck yeah. For watching maybe some movies that they wouldn't usually watch. Totally. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Susan, and for recommending uh, a movie I had never encountered. And it was a true delight to, to put it on the radar. Appreciate it. It's a, I guess the last thing I wanted to add is um, one of the things I like about it so much is uh, 
I also, I love the relationship between Jesse and Charlie because it reminds me of the Elvis and Abbott and Costello movies. Totally. Um, yeah, just when, especially there's one scene in particular where they first dig up Gramps and they're in the grave and Gramps is above them with the Aztec mask and they like literally like Scooby-Doo jump over each other in the grave and it's just such a good moment to me. That's such a good call out. Yes, one of them to avoid the bullet that they believe is coming tries to dive underneath the body of his closest friend. <laughs> um, are you a big Abbott and Costello person? I am. I am. Uh, Me too. That's kind of my yeah. I, I love. I love buddy comedies from that era. Um, Laurel and Hardy, but Abbott and Costello specifically because they always meet the monsters. That exactly. Um, and they have boy. to. They have to suspend the disbelief and deal with this shit and just kind of accept it in order to deal with it. And I feel like Jesse and Charlie had to do that too. Are you trying to tell me that candle moved? Yeah. <laughs> I love it when they meet Frankenstein. Uh, exactly. And it's always the problem, but they always just have to accept that that is what is up and figure it out. <laughs> nice. Um, well, I may have to beg your indulgence someday to come back and talk about an Abbott Costello movie. That'd be really fun. Yeah, um, it'll be, uh, we'll be the old people talking about Elvis Abbott and Costello in the room. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you again. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for talking to me and uh, watching House 2, and I'm so glad you liked it. <laughs> I'm better for it. Bye.